Agile Rabbit make events for curious minds. In partnership with the University of Exeter, we focus on ideas, global affairs and the natural and scientific world. These events are set in contrasting venues across the southwest to provide quirky experiences which welcome conversation. For more information, visit agilerabbit.com. Here is Dr. Inma Aderves-Yono talking about mindfulness in Kenyan prisons. It was in 2016 that I was in headquarters in Nairobi with the prisons, headquarters prison, when a welfare officer asked me, Inma, do you know what prisons and hospitals have in common? No, I have no idea. You never know when you are going to end up in one. Prisons in Kenya, according to the African Prisons Project, are around 300% overpopulated. They have calculated that around 80% of the, the prisoners lack access to basic justice. Agri is one of the guys that I train, one of the governors in the prison. And when I met him in London, I wanted to know about empathy, his empathy for inmates. So I asked him, Agri, how do you feel about the inmates that you have in your institution? And he said, well, around 40% of them shouldn't be in prison. And as I will show you later on, Agri was the governor of the worst prison in Kenya. It wasn't fit even for pigs, and you have more than 2,000 inmates in there. And yet, in that context, something amazing is happening. So I'm going to tell you some of the stories of some of the work I was doing while I was witnessing and being part of that amazing thing that was happening. But before I do that, in my latest Skype with Naivasha, the largest maximum security prison in Kenya, before I was going to talk to them, they say, let us start with a breathing exercise. And that's what I want us to do now. So just for a moment, just to bring us into the present, yes, we can just sit upright. We are just going to breathe three times. But let's try to pay attention. How does the air come through our nose? So three times, breathing in. And what we do there as well is that we shake ourselves a bit. So do whatever you need to do. But I was asked to tell you something about my research. So just very, very quickly, without going into detail, this program of work is based on mindfulness, but also on social identity. Mindfulness is about being fully aware of what is happening in the present moment, but without judgment and with full acceptance. Really important, being fully aware without judgment and with full acceptance. And then social identity has to do with identifying and belonging to groups that are important to us. Our sense of self and our social identity that relates to the groups that are important to us. So then with these two components, what we did is that we transformed inmates, that's why I call it identity alchemy, into mindful leaders. What is a mindful leader? Mindful leader in simple words, is someone who uses mindfulness to live their lives and someone who inspired others to do the same. In April 2015, I was asked to train the director of rehabilitation and five governors of prisons in Kenya. And after that, I thought, it's very easy for me to stay in the UK while they go to the messy institutions. So I told them, okay, I will go to your institutions and I will help with the change projects you have. What I did afterwards, 
is that I went to three prisons. And also I supported 50 welfare officers that were working with the director of rehabilitation. There are many things I cannot tell you in this presentation, but I'm going to tell you stories of Langata, the largest female prison in Nairobi, Naivasha, the largest prison in Kenya, and Kodiaga, the worst prison in Kenya. And then finally, I will tell you how mindfulness is moving beyond prisons world. Now, I'm not going to give you impact indicators or anything like that. We have plenty of that and I can show you or direct you into the right place. This is about stories. Midlangata. 2015, when I was going there, I could see all these women who were carrying something in their heads. They were carrying water. There was no water in the prison. It was extremely hot and there was no water. And then when the governor introduced me to this group of women, unfortunately, what she said is that she said, can you please say to Inma if you are convicted or not? So then you have this group of, I think there were 28 women or 30 who were saying, I'm convicted, convicted death penalty or to life. That was the introduction that I had. Imagine the identity that they have activated before entering into the training. And the context of the training, initially they couldn't quite understand why they were sitting in a circle with this white European woman. They were asked to go there and it wasn't the best environment. When I was working with them, one of the first things I did is to do with, in the art of participatory leadership, we call a check-in. So it's a question to introduce themselves. So then they have to say their names and something they were happy about in their lives. So slowly, very slowly, the identity could change. But funnily enough, for these women, women, something they were happy about wasn't necessarily related to the sense of self. And when I was going to teach them about mindfulness, imagine this group of women, how am I going to tell techniques about dealing with the mind to this group of women? The first thing I needed to do is to come up with techniques to release emotions. And there is where mindful screaming was born. Mindful screaming and mindful shaking, like shaking. This is what I heard that animals do after they've been chased. They shake all the adrenaline out. So then that's what we did. We also did some yoga laughter. So then first we released some of the emotions. They laughed, they screamed, they shaked. And then once some of those things were released, then we could work with the mind. At the end, in the checkout, I was asking them, what are you taking away from the session? So they were like that, sitting in a circle, and then I felt that the most appropriate thing or what I wanted to do is to sit one by one in front of them and listen to the Swahili, which some of it I couldn't understand, but sometimes I was in tears. Their faces, at the end, they really changed. But it wasn't having, if I, if I had in my mind, I'm going to do this, 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 and we have failed completely. I need to be completely open and really listen to what wants to emerge here. And I guess those who are doing field work, you have experienced that. In the year two, we were consolidating norms and there was further mindfulness training. When I arrived there, they told me, you're going to have around 50 women. Okay, okay, it's a big group, but that's fine. No open area, okay. We have the 50 women, 50 handouts, and more chairs, more women, more chairs, more women. We had almost 100. 
They didn't want to miss the mindful screaming. <laughs> and then there was this woman here. She wasn't an inmate. As you can see, she has other clothes. When at the end I asked her, why are you here? She said, well, I'm a friend of the governor, and I could be one of them. This is a woman who divorced in Kenya. If you divorce, you are ostracized by your own family. So the amount of abuse, domestic abuse that happens in the family is incredible, and women are not allowed to divorce. So many times when women cannot handle it anymore and something happens, this is where they end up, away from the children, from the family. So this woman said, I'm lucky enough to have escaped the relationship, even if it's through divorce and all the pain, but I wanted to hear what was the training that these women were receiving. Between the second year and the third year, we have, I'll tell you later on, a group of, in the largest maximum security prison, I developed a handbook with colleagues and they, they translated it into Swahili and they adjusted it into the Kenyan context. And I wanted these women to adjust it to make it gender appropriate. So in the third year, we were moving up into them becoming mindful leaders. But this time, they only allowed a certain uh, number of women to come, those who were kind of almost like they understood English, they could get the training much more, and they were more proactive into doing something else. And what we did uh, in two days, we went to the remand section. Those are women who have not been convicted yet, and they can be there one week, two months, two years, five years, because there are not enough lawyers in Kenya. And, um, and then the power of them, training them, is that these women here have been here in this prison. So they could talk to them and they could say, look, I was in this cell. This is how I felt. This is how this technique can help you because this is how this technique helped me. We have great plans for them. What they were going to do in Langata is they were going to adjust the mindfulness handbook, as I told you before, to make it gender appropriate. They were going to teach women on remand, as I showed you before, because we just started and reach the community. Because some of them said, if I had this training a while ago, I wouldn't have ended up in prison. And they were really committed in teaching other women outside there how to deal with their emotions and how to handle themselves so they wouldn't have to end up in prison. So that's something they really wanted to do. The strategy we were going to use is that these women were going to mentor some of the women, some of the girls from the juvenile center. We had great plans. And I thought they truly understood the nature of mindfulness. But the reality is that this program was not a priority because the priority was raising funds for the institution. So they have lots of other programs in which they were cooking, they were creating crafty things, or they were being educated to pass exams. The key welfare officers who were instrumental for this to make sure that they could go to the prison on remand and things like that were promoted and transferred. And then the governor, who could bend the rules to make one of these inmates to go into the juvenile center, got transferred to. One of my interesting findings, a bit of a disappointment, but a kind of also a reality check, is that when this year two colleagues of mine went there and they were interviewing them, we realized that they didn't quite fully understand the concept of mindfulness, how we understood it. I want to believe that the person who was translating for me, I thought that he understood what mindfulness was, but that was an assumption, that was a wrong assumption. And that's also when we do field work, many times it's very easy to make wrong assumptions. And actually, they need to be aware and fully accept the situation, which is pretty hard in a prison and in those contexts, 
but they were doing it in the other places. But due to the context of that prison in which they are doing, they were doing lots of other programs and the main purpose for them was to distract themselves from the fact that they couldn't see the children. They could see this program as another way of distracting themselves. And they talk about the power of the mindful screaming, but nonetheless, when they were talking about distraction, it's like, no, that's not mindfulness. So this is something that we need to kind of correct and we need to work with. But it was an eye-opener because something, when you are trying to translate things that are related to mindfulness, acceptance and awareness are really, really important, but they are sometimes a bit difficult. And now, I, if you have questions, I can answer later on about these concepts. We are done with the female prison. Now meet Naivasha, the largest maximum security prison in Kenya. I have to tell you that when I arrived in Kenya, I trained first 50 welfare officers, and after that day, I thought I was going to spend three days in Langata and one day in this prison. And the director of rehabilitation told me, Inma, you know what? Patrick is not happy. The largest maximum security prison is only going to have one day. Can you change your plans? So all the things that I have organized for Langata have to throw away, come up with something completely different. But then it was just wonderful what happened there. So then the three days after I arrived there, I went to Langata and in Langata, I thought, how can they release emotions? Nairobi is two hours away from Naivasha. As I was traveling, I thought, how are this group of men who are on death penalty, life in prison, or very large, long sentences, how are they going to deal with mindful screaming? So then as we stopped to do some photocopies, I went to a shop and I thought, ah, if I buy a bow and a lighter, maybe we can do something different. So on the first day, they were working in a circle. Initially, they couldn't understand what was going on, but they were working in a circle. If you see, we had a table upside down, which later on, that became like our symbol. We can turn tables upside down in the prison, outside in society, but also inside our heads. And inside the table upside down, they were burning papers. It's like a riot. Table upside down and burning papers. And it was wonderful. When I was working with this group of men, it was one of the best trainings I've given. Like before, we were doing a check-in, and that time in the check-in, I told them, everything is absolutely welcome. Absolutely everything. You can bring it into the center. So if you imagine the amount of hate, frustration, anger, despair that they were bringing, but because they were bringing that, somehow they could work. We were all working with reality, rather than just the nice parts of it. And the day was incredible. On the second day, I was only going to be one day with them, but I, I, took, I took away time from my training with the officers so I could work with them again. And on my second day, in my two hours of trip, I was imagining a conversation with my dean, dean of the business school, who, who was asking me, Inma, why on earth? Are you teaching mindfulness to inmates in a Kenyan prison? Are you an idealist? And my answer was no. I'm not an idealist. I'm actually a pragmatist. If this group of men who are in this situation can actually use mindfulness and transform themselves, what cannot they do? And actually what they are doing is absolutely incredible. On my second day, there were no benches. So we couldn't sit in benches. So we could only sit outside in the grass. As I was sitting there, and a guard being there, 
It just didn't make any sense. So I go to him and I said, can you please go away? <laughs> but, but madam, I'm here, I'm here for your protection. Look, I know the governor. The governor knows that I do things differently. Go away. Madam, madam. And then he went away for a while and then he came back. Madam, you know that this group of men are rapists and they are murderers and they are this. He was trying to scare me. It's like, no, you go away. How could I do anything with this group of men if there was this separation, if someone needed to protect me from them? We were creating a collective identity. And the fact that I, that I, that I said, just go away, that was quite amusing for them. And that created a strong bond between us. And also the fact that I was eating with them. So the governor was, away, was outside eating with some other visitors. And I said, no, I'm going to eat with the inmates. Someone lent me a bowl and we were eating with their hands and with my hands, some of the food that they were eating. So that really created a, a good bond between us. So we have the first year, and then now we move into the second year. On the second year, we didn't have, I think the first year we have 30 or 40, I lost count now. On the second year, we have more than, eight, more like 80 or so. Where we are wearing are some bracelets that children from my school at Exeter made for them. And what we are doing is that we are saying, we are all members of the same tribe, Mindful Leaders Tribe. And in Kenya, there are lots of tribes and there are lots of problems with the different tribes. But we were all members of the same tribe. So there was a bit more teaching. And there were many things happened during that year, but I want to share with you this story. We were working in groups. We were working on acceptance and letting go acceptance and letting go in that environment. And then, as we are working, one of the men there got up, a very strong man, and said to all of us, do you know who a strong man is? We all stop. We look at him. And then he said, a strong man is a man who cries. In that context, in a maximum security prison, in which I haven't told you anything about the conditions in which they live in, where they are supposed to toughen up. We have 80 men there who are being trained. And after over a year of training, they dare to say in front of everyone, a strong man is a man who cries. So they were really changing the norms and changing how they wanted to be in this world. It was incredible. The second story is as, I, as we are working again on acceptance and letting go, then there was a man there in the corner and he got up. He was really, really upset, really upset. And he got up and he said, Madam, do you really want me to accept that because I am here, my wife has been beaten? Do you really want me to accept that? My answer, no. I don't want you to accept anything. Some of the questions I ask them here and about self-leadership is that, is this useful for you? What is the impact it's having on you? If you're not accepting the fact that your wife has been beaten up, is useful because it's making you have a sense of, I am a good husband, because look how much I'm suffering because I'm here. Go ahead, don't accept it. But at the moment that you decide that you may want to accept it and let it go because you can do your internal work to then inspire your children, I connect with other people, then you can let it go. The man just stood up, um, took a seat. And then after a while, as people were also talking about forgiveness and other things, I could see that his face was slowly, kind of, slowly, because they have 
the power. One of the things that we do there is that external landscape, in that condition, they cannot change. But no one, no one, no one can control the internal landscape. And that's what they are working on, that's what the self-leadership is about. No one, not a mindfulness teacher, no one has to tell them what they have to accept or what they don't have to accept or how they have to deal with their mind. They have that responsibility and they have that power. We move one year, 2017, the training keeps on expanding and the teachings become embodied and creations emerge. So this time, I think there were 170. Uh, what they did between the second, around the second year is that they created mindfulness training that was happening Monday to Friday. They could learn English, they could learn maths, and they could learn mindfulness. And James Love is one of the people who were really pushing for it. They had a play, then they show me, in which they say, from blindfulness to mindfulness. And they were showing how uh, this group of men, they were in the cell and they were very aggressive and they had one small man and they were really bullying him and, and one of the mindful teachers was going there and they were teaching some of the techniques. So from blindfulness, how they were teaching each other, then they were talking about how they actually convinced everyone to be mindful. It was just incredible. So this is what happened in 2017. And one of the things we were also doing is keeping the identity alive. So as I said, they have an anthem, we are mindful leaders, and that's where they sing. They have the table upside down that also represents this is how we do things internally and externally. And they created two of those. So this is, as you see here, African Prisons Project, University of Exeter, and Mindful Leadership Revolution. <laughs> because that's what they talk about. They talk, this is a mindfulness revolution, mindful leaders revolution, and how the revolution is coming outside prisons and in many other places that yeah. I'm just bringing here the example of one person, Joseph. They were asking, they were being asked, who have you been, who are you now, and who do you want to be? So John, uh, Kate, and Alice, can you read, who have you been, who are you now, and who do you want to be? Before the introduction of mindfulness at Novisha, I was negatively driven, I was a negatively driven man. I felt isolated, impatient, authoritative, lonely. I couldn't forgive. I was pessimistic and always hopeless about my tomorrow. So who are you now? I now think positively and try to learn my emotions. I deal with others in a more hospitable way than before. I take my time to try and make new opportunities in every circumstance that comes my way. My contribution to others is that I'm helping them realise their goals and change their lives positively through poem writing on different kinds of emotions and giving my life experience. Who do you want to be? I want to have positive thoughts and emotions. I want to take my time to inspire others as well as myself to always be mindful. The contribution I want to make is not only in Navasha, but the whole nation through what we termed mindful development goals. Thank you. That's what they are talking about. But they don't want to stop in the prison. They want to make changes outside. And they have done it. They have, some of them have been transferred to other prisons and they have started their programs there. And they want to do more. They want to change communities. They are talking about changing the nation. So am I not a pragmatist? The work they are doing outside there is becoming pretty real. But within Naivasha, there is a, you can have a look at the impact report that we have with more details. But they are talking about how they change relationship with the families. They have prevented crime while they were in prison. 
a way in which they talk some techniques to other people who were outside. And we have now staff and students from a university, from a university, came to prisons to learn mindfulness. So now in Kenya, if you want to learn mindfulness, you need to go inside the prison to learn mindfulness. <laughs> and yes, we have a blog, the inner rehabilitation, that is focusing on that particular program. We have another, another uh, a website called Mindful Leaders in Kenya, in which they are talking not just on this project, but projects in other prisons and with headquarters and mindful welfare officers. And now we move into the third prison, Mid Kodiaga. It was a heavily overpopulated prison of conditions were just inhumane. And remember, according to Agri, 40% of the people who were there shouldn't be there. While in Naivasha they have an education center, in Kodiaga they did not have such a thing. But our goal with the governor was to transform Kodiaga from the worst prison in Kenya to a role model to follow. A bit ambitious, but nonetheless. <laughs> One of the things we were going to do is to develop a group of key change agents. And he makes sure that he selected great key change agents and then I had their emails, their WhatsApps, I could communicate with them directly. And then, in terms of repairing the, the prison, we have two phases. First, we needed to prepare the external infrastructure. How am I going to go to teach them about mindfulness when they don't have even humane conditions to live in? But I thought, apart from the external infrastructure, we can also repair the social infrastructure of the inmates with the guards. So then what I said to the governor is that they both needed to repair the roof. And then the second phase was obviously continue with the social infrastructure reparation. And then to the internal psychological one that had to do with mindfulness. But in that prison, there were quite a few challenges. But, uh, but even in that context, there was a moment that I asked them, do you want to make this world a better place? And what they did, they screamed, yes! They were really so motivated, so empowered. They have energy and motivation to change things. They have a group of key change agents who were going to support them. And they have a committed governor. Really, I thought we were going to do brilliant. And then, change of governor. When I tried to talk to the change agents, they said, well, they've been transferred to other prisons. When I tried to communicate with the new governor, there was no way I could communicate with him. I have no way of knowing what is happening beyond these walls. That's the part that I say was a failure. Well, which, yeah, I call it a failure because of the circumstances. Who knows what that is? But what's next? It is a mindfulness revolution. It is a mindfulness revolution that from the director of rehabilitation to governors of now we are almost in 20 institutions. And one of the things that Mary, the director of rehabilitation, is talking about is policy change where she wants this mindfulness to go into all institutions at the beginning when inmates go in and they are so confused and they are really not going to be able to cope with it, but also before they leave. So then they have enough tools to reintegrate into society. But we also want to go beyond prison. And I have good news on that front. Three weeks ago, one of the welfare officers from Naivasha went to a field day in West Kenya, in which they were gathering 30 schools and basically after that field day he gave a presentation during the field day and after the field day the woman who made this possible contacted me and said you know what my great news they are interested in this not only in primary but also secondary schools so we have in Kenya mindfulness is coming 
from the prisons into schools because then some of the handbooks that were translated and some of the materials that they are uh, working with and other things that are going to happen are going to be able to be taught to teachers and then they need to adjust it and then we need some experts who are teaching children because obviously it's different who can work with them and then they go to community and pff, it's unstoppable because people want it to be unstoppable. And we're moving beyond Kenya. I was contacted by people from Singapore. Can we do this in Singaporean prisons? I have no idea. Who knows where it's going to stop? That's what happens with a revolution. You never know where it stops. And they talk about the fire. They actually talk about the fire of the revolution and keeping the fire alive. And what's next? Each of us, even people in this room, each of us, making a world a better place. Who knows where we are going next? I'm yes. just wondering, what about mindfulness in prisons in the UK? Uh, I'm part of the distilling group of mindfulness in UK prisons. That what they are doing here is that they are having the traditional mindfulness trainer teaches people. And I was talking to the people who are training uh, inmates in, in Wales prison. And then he says, this is completely different because we are utilizing not only mindfulness, but social identity. Now, for that training to happen, the training needs to be different. So the training that I'm giving them is much more simpler. It has the fundamental principles of mindfulness, but the techniques are really easily accessible and they can teach it to each other. So this is something that yeah, we are working towards, trying to, in whatever form they want, put it here. But what I told them to, I said, if you want me to be really involved in bringing mindfulness to UK prisons, you give me the people on top. If not, I'm not wasting my time. I can tell you things, but I know how we cannot change so much unless the people on top are really willing to bend the rules like they did there, are really willing to allow me or other people to do whatever is necessary. So we are going to do whatever we can, but unless we get people on, on the top to be change agents, I don't know what's going to happen.